As you know, this uh, message was birthed out of a reflection upon the celebration of Memorial Day, um, honoring the brave men and women who have laid down their lives in the name of freedom. And we, we identify with that primarily in the context of our own nation, and certainly we've had a lot of incredible, amazing people over the last 250 years or so that have done just that laid down their lives, first of all, in the Revolutionary War, obviously, even in the Civil War, um, even to this day a very controversial war, obviously, but some great men laid down their lives on both sides. And until recently, both sides were honored. Things have changed a bit. It's the fact, I don't know if I remember if I shared this last week, but Memorial Day was actually launched right after the Civil War. And when they were uh, the first time they went and they laid, I believe they laid flowers on the graves in Arlington Cemetery, they honored both the Union soldiers and the Confederate soldiers. That wouldn't fly today, would it? But guess what? All those men on both sides were Americans who loved God and loved their country and were all doing what they thought was right, okay? But everything's been changed and revised, and, but let's just leave it with that. Memorial Day was launched after the Civil War and then continued to become more and more uh, important and dynamic after World War I, World War II, and all the other wars that we've been involved in. But it always reminds us of the one who laid down his life for the whole world. God so loved the world, right? John 3.16. So our commanding officer, Jesus, laid down his life to purchase for us eternal freedom. Any freedom that we find in this world, even that freedom which is fought for and people bled, bled and died for, we know that it's, it's, it's temporary. Uh, as things change, as leadership changes, as uh, values and morals and ethics change and governments change, uh, those freedoms that were that paid such a high price for can suddenly begin to slip away, which actually is what's been happening in our country today. But our commanding officer, Jesus, laid down his life to purchase for us eternal freedom. Eternal is always better than temporary. And he recruited us to serve as warriors in the kingdom of God. We read this verse last week, 2 Timothy 2.3. You, therefore, must endure hardship, Paul writing to Timothy. And so, again... That's why it's so important for us to really be in the Word, folks, because we see so many people who identify as believers, and then when troubles come into their lives, they act shocked and surprised and upset, even mad at God. Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Tribulation, trials. Paul said it too. You must endure hardship, he tells Timothy, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. God told us all this in his word so that we wouldn't be caught off guard. We wouldn't be shocked. We wouldn't be surprised. Jesus said, the world hates me. It's going to hate you too. If you're a true follower of Christ, if people can really see Jesus in you, and they hate Jesus, guess what? They're going to hate you too. And you know what? But we're told to love our enemies. But, you know, a lot of people, they don't really like the idea of being hated but we have to remember, Jesus warned us. He told us. And if you want to be a true follower of Christ, you've got to be willing to endure that. 
It was interesting because back in the uh, times of the Jesus movement, which are portrayed in the film tonight, I was there live and in person. There was actually a time frame where it actually became kind of cool to be a Christian, a Jesus freak, if you will, right? They were even playing Christian-oriented music on the secular radio stations, you know, um, put your hand in the hand of the man, stuff like that, spirit in the sky. And um, there was actually a season where it was almost kind of cool. That time is gone. It's not cool anymore. Um, we're not in the midst of a Jesus revolution. We're in the midst of the last days, the end times, where the enemy is more active than he's been in a long, long time. And so there is a battle going on. It will continue on until you and I are raptured out of here. And then the battle will continue here on planet Earth as we talked about last week where Satan and his angels are cast down to the earth. They're confined. Right now they still have movement. Um, some people call them UFOs. <laughs> they're out there. They have movement. But during the tribulation they're going to be cast down to the earth. And can you imagine what that's going to be like? But anyway, we are called to be warriors for Christ. We're talking about the heart of a warrior. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless this time of study in your word this morning, that you'd speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to, to build up and strengthen those warrior hearts that you have imparted to us. Lord, give us the strength that we need to continue to fight the good fight of the faith until you call us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just recap what we talked about last week. First of all, the heart of a warrior is not reluctant or hesitant. We use the example of Joshua. First time he's mentioned in the scriptures, Exodus 17, 9, Moses calls him right into active duty to go out and fight against the Amalekites with no introduction of any kind. His first recorded action is to lead the troops of Israel into battle against the Amalekites. And then we talked about the disciples and how... When, when they encountered Jesus, one by one, we've already met Philip, Nathaniel, J uh, Peter, and Andrew, the first four, and the first uh, couple chapters of John. But we read in Matthew 4.20, Jesus is walking along the shore of Galilee, and Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they're all fishermen. They have family fishing businesses. They're out there plying their trade, repairing their nets, and so forth. Jesus calls them. And Matthew 4.20, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, obviously, not everyone who is called by Christ necessarily has to walk away from their job or their home or whatever. But the, this idea of not being reluctant, not being hesitant. When God calls, we respond. That's the heart of a warrior. Number two, the heart of a warrior is an obedient heart. Because we read in, in verse 10 of Exodus 17... So Moses, uh, Joshua did as Moses had said to him. There's no record of a, of a discussion, an argument. Well, Moses, those Amalekites, I mean, they're bad dudes. We're not even a real army here. We're just a ragtag group of people who just marched out of Egypt. No argument, no discussion. Joshua did as Moses had said to him. And we talked about that. If you're in the military, which you and I are in God's army, um, the difference between an immediate response and a reluctant or hesitant response could be life and death, right? You may not agree with your commanding officer. Now, in the earthly sense, some, yeah, commanding officers can be wrong, 
But what's more wrong than them being wrong is you being disobedient. And this can apply in every area of your life. Because I know a lot of times, as, even as believers, we will say, well, I don't know if I have to obey that person or not. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. It might be the wife talking about the husband. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. But... Thank you. That's better. <laughs> or it could be your boss. Just because your boss is your boss doesn't mean they know everything. Doesn't even mean they know more than you do. But the way we honor God as believers, whatever authority God has placed us under, and I know this is not a popular topic either, but biblically, ladies, <laughs> the Bible says that you are under your husband's authority. Okay? I've told you many times, God never expects you to obey anyone who requires you to do something illegal, unbiblical, immoral. You are not obligated to obey that. But other than that, if it's just a matter of you don't agree, then the way you honor God, whether if you work for an employer or you're a wife unto a husband, whatever area of life you're in where there is authority over you, nobody likes that. We all want to be free agents, right? Independent, you know, declaration of independence. We like our freedom. But, you know, God gives us boundaries and parameters. And as we are obedient to him, then that's where the freedom comes in. The freedom that Christ purchased for you and I is the freedom to make good choices, good decisions. It's the freedom not to sin when your flesh is telling you to do it. But in Christ, you have the freedom to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. So the way to, to make things good and right in your life is not necessarily to override someone that you perceive to be stupid or dumb or doesn't know what they're talking about or know what they're doing. Because when we obey God, you see, here's, here's what I think. If we, have a tr if we have trouble submitting to human authority, then we probably have trouble submitting to God's authority as well. They kind of go hand in hand. We've talked about this before. The vertical and the horizontal, they always intersect. People try to compartmentalize their lives. Well, yeah, I mean, I love God and all that, but I have this other life. No, you don't have another life. You have one life, either in Christ or apart from Christ. And if you're in Christ, that means every aspect and every part of your life is impacted by your relationship with Him. If you don't have a good relationship with Him, it's going to manifest itself in your human relationships. So the heart of a warrior is an obedient heart. I referenced this verse last week. I did not read it. I'll read it today. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord means master, by the way. So if you call Jesus your Lord, you're acknowledging him as your master. Guess what? If he's your master, that means you obey him, right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, and it looks to me like we're talking about judgment day here, if you want to call it that. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Now, isn't that interesting? Many people are very impressed by someone who can give that appearance of giving forth a prophecy. Thus saith the Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name, 
cast out demons in your name. That's interesting, isn't it? And done many wonders in your name. Many people are very much in awe of these things. And the Bible warns that in the last days there will be lying signs and wonders that will deceive many people. And then I will declare to them, them who? The ones who prophesied in his name, the ones who uh, cast out demons in his name, the ones who did many wonders in his name. We don't know if they're legitimate or not, but Jesus says, they, these people say, hey Lord, we did this and that and the other thing in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And what does he base it upon? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He bases it upon he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We talked about it last week where Samuel told Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. Okay, not reluctant or hesitant, obedient heart, uh, and then we have a humble heart. Number three, David, broken and humbled before God. Psalm 51, 16. You do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And so that's the thing. People will look at David and say, man, that guy, he did a lot of bad stuff. And he was a man after God's own heart? Really? But they missed the point. The point is he ultimately always humbled himself before God and came before God with a broken and contrite heart. He repented. And that's a message to each and every one of us. The devil will try to beat you up with your mistakes. And he's, he's done a good job with a lot of people. A lot of people get wounded. They have wounds inflicted upon them, self-inflicted, by the mistakes they've made, the sins they've committed. And the enemy will tell you, you're done, it's over. God will never love you again. God will never use you again. And that's why he's given us people in the Bible like David. It'd be hard to find somebody who blew it worse than David. Right? Adultery, murder, polygamy. And yet, the Bible still calls him a man after God's own heart. How can you be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Because you're not perfect. You are a sinner. And no matter how hard you try, you will never be perfect in this life. You will always need God's forgiveness. You will always find yourself going before God, confessing your sins and repenting which is how you stay in right relationship with him. And that's how you stay a man or a woman after God's own heart, knowing you will never be perfect, but like David, always knowing that no matter what you've done, if you come before God in humility with confession and repentance, he will forgive you and he will restore you into right relationship. So important. Don't let the devil lie to you because that's what he does. Jesus said he's the father of all lies. The humble heart. Fourthly, the heart of a warrior is a fighting heart. Yes, we do have to fight because we do have an enemy and he's real. He has a kingdom. There are principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. Jesus called him the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. We do have an enemy and we've all heard the term spiritual warfare and it is real the heart of a warrior is a fighting heart Joshua fought with Amalek and then 1st Samuel 30 17 we read this last week as well David attacked the Amalekites we talked about they keep popping up like a bad penny 
In the Bible, the Amalekites really are a symbol for Satan. They were perennial enemies of Israel. 1 Samuel 37, 30, 17, David attacked the Amalekites from twilight until the evening of the next day. 24 hours. Can you imagine how exhausted they would have been? That's a fighting heart. You don't give up until the victory has been won. I mentioned they're perennial enemies. Remember Haman, the Agagite, who tried to destroy the Jews in uh, Babylon at the time of Queen Esther. He was a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And so the true warrior must have a fighting heart because the Amalekites, who represent the devil, the devil never stops fighting, so we must not stop fighting either. We talked about this last week. The good news, we saw how Jesus, after 40 days and nights of fasting and praying, and the enemy came to tempt him, and once he successfully resisted the devil, the angels came and ministered to Jesus, refreshed him, renewed him. And we have the guardian angels that God dispatches. We have the Holy Spirit. And when we're in the midst of the battle and we feel like we can't go on anymore, God is there to strengthen us, to comfort us, to encourage us. We just have to continually look to him, stay close to him. 1 Peter 5.8, we read this last week. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That warning is from Peter to believers. We talked about this last week as well. The devil hates all human beings, but he hates God's people more than anybody else. It, it just rubs him raw that he can't take away our salvation. He can't take away our eternal destiny that we're going to live with God forever in paradise. We're going to live for... He hates that. So the only other ace he has up his sleeve is to try to make us as miserable as possible in this life. But we have the victory through Jesus Christ. We have to remember that. Remember Jesus' weapons, as we talked about last week, were fasting, prayer, and the Word of God. He was out there fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. And when the enemy came to him and tried to tempt him, he always came back with a quote from the Scriptures. The devil can't argue with that. Don't ever try to out-argue the devil on your own. Just use God's word because he can't argue with that. He can't dispute that. He has no comeback for that. The truth of God's word. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. We walk, for though we walk in the flesh and that we live in these physical bodies, we do not war according to the flesh. You can't wage spiritual warfare with a 38 special or an AK-47 or an AR-15. And if certain people have their way, you may not be able to do anything with those <laughs> pretty soon. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to, for pulling down strongholds. We've talked about strongholds before. God, or the enemy rather, tries to establish strongholds in our lives. You know, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, pornography, these are, can be strongholds. Obviously, as believers, we shouldn't have those, but sadly, sometimes... Believers do. Jesus said, here comes Satan and he has no place in me. No stronghold, no foothold in Jesus' life, obviously. But he can have strongholds if we allow them, him to. But to pull down the strongholds, we have spiritual weaponry. Casting down arguments 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I did teaching on this many years ago. The battle, folks, is won or lost in the mind. We tend to look at the outward things, don't we? The outward symptoms. But those outward actions, bad choices, bad decisions, sinful actions, they were birthed in your mind before they ever became a physical reality, right? That's where the battle is won or lost. And the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, every lustful thought, every hateful, murderous thought. Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And a lot of the things that people identify as causes, I'm angry with that person because of this or that, are really not logical, rational, justifiable reasons to be angry with somebody. I saw them at church Sunday and they didn't even smile at me. For all you know, they're going through something very difficult right now and they're preoccupied. Pastor Gary can be preoccupied too. We all can. And if you get angry at somebody for something like that, that's on you. Okay? Now, if they walked up to your car and bashed in your windshield with a baseball bat, you might get a little upset, right? But Jesus says, hey, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause... Many of the causes that we have are not causes. Shall be in danger of the judgment. Hello, that's pretty intense. And whoever says to his brother, Racha, means fool. You fool, you idiot. Oh boy. I do that sometimes when I'm driving and people do stupid things. My wife doesn't like it, I understand, I don't blame her. You idiot, look at that idiot. And the problem is, I don't know if it's my brother or not. In the Lord. So we shouldn't do it to anybody, really. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. The point here is Jesus equated hatred with murder. Get that? You don't have to kill somebody if you hate them. It's just as in God's eyes as if you'd murdered them. Matthew 5, 27 and 28 you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Folks, the battle is won or lost in the mind. If you have entertained those thoughts, if you have coddled them and toyed with them and allowed them to stick around, if you've not taken them captive to the obedience of Christ. If you have not used the spiritual weaponry that God has given you, the, the word, the fasting, and the prayer that Jesus employed, 
the power of the Holy Spirit, which we must yield to daily, then those thoughts will inhabit you, take you over, and could eventually lead to something even worse. But it's already bad enough, according to Jesus. The battle is won or lost in the mind. If you want to talk about spiritual warfare, that's where it's at. That's where the enemy is going to come after you. He's going to attack you. He's going to try to take your thoughts captive and use them against you. Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by being slain in the Spirit. That's a practice in many charismatic and Pentecostal churches. You come up for prayer, and um, um, if it's really the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't have to smack you on the head, but a lot of times they do. Wham! If somebody smacked you in the head, there's a good chance you may, yeah, you may go over. No, it's by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Oh, we don't want to, we don't want to, Get the mind involved here. We just want to go with the flow, bro. Go with the Holy Ghost. Ah. There's so many Christians who don't realize God gave you a brain. And he wants to wash your brain. You ever heard about being brainwashed? Uh, I used to know a guy. He's still around as far as I know. Barry McGuire. Eve of Destruction. How many remember that song? We did some concerts together. Barry got saved. And he used to talk about he, how people would, you know, after he got saved, they'd kind of make fun of him. And, and he said, oh, man, you Christians, you're just brainwashed. And Barry said, yeah, but at least I know who washed my brain. <laughs> Jesus. Be, don't be conformed to this world. The sinful activities of this world, the adultery, the lust, the fornication, the pornography, all that stuff. The drug abuse. But be transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind. God invades every part of who we are, body, soul, and spirit. It's not just an emotional feel-good experience like we talked about. Oftentimes it's just the opposite. It can be difficult. It can be hard to follow God. But he wants to renew our minds the way that we think because what's that old expression? There's one that says you are what you eat. There's another one that says you are what you think. And a lot of people grow up, yeah, with being verbally abused, you're stupid, you're dumb, blah, blah, blah. And when you're bombarded like that all the time, people tend to believe it. You're ugly, whatever, you're no good. That's a horrible thing. When we talk about the power of the spoken word, I don't know, I may not get through this again today either. When you talk about the power of the spoken word, and again, the faith teachers will tell you, you just got to name and claim it, bro. If you want that bank account full, if you want that wallet full, you just got to say, in Jesus' name, be filled. Don't even have to go out and work or anything. No, James, in the book of James, he talks about the power of the tongue in a negative way. That it's like a world of poison. We're much more likely to poison someone with our tongue than we are to bless them. And James says it shouldn't be like that. But there's truth in that. You cannot speak worlds into existence, planets into existence. You can't do anything apart from the power of Christ. But what you can do with that tongue of yours, you can destroy people. You can shred them. You can ruin them by your 
foul speech. And that's what it all starts in the mind, folks. It all starts in the mind. I'm very thankful for the parents that God gave me, though I didn't have them all that long. They both died very young. But my mother in particular was very encouraging to me. Can't ever remember her saying anything negative. And I grew up thinking, you know what, I can, I can do whatever I choose to do. I can be whomever I choose to be. And then God got a hold of me and says, I just decided who you're going to be. <laughs> but I, I, believed he, I believed him. Because I had not been bombarded all my life with negative speech. What a blessing. I feel bad for many people who weren't that blessed, that did have to grow up like that, with that verbal mental abuse. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So God can renew your mind no matter what kind of circumstances you grew up under, no matter what kind of verbal abuse you may have experienced. That's the whole point. Paul says we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you need to get into the Word of God and let God bombard you with positive things, with all the blessings that He has for us, all the great things He has done for us. 1 Corinthians 2.16. Oh, Romans 12.2, I read that. I didn't finish it, though. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's another thing with many believers struggle with. Knowing the will of God. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds which takes place as we saturate ourselves with the, with the word of God and we yield our lives daily to the Holy Spirit and then God will guide us and direct us that we might know his will. Again, it's not about feelings or emotions. It's about being in communication with our commanding officer. All right, 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. Again, it's something you have to appropriate. You have to receive it. You have to accept it. You said, transform me, renew my mind, give me the mind of Christ. I want to think, we sang that song today. I want to walk like Jesus walks, talk like Jesus talks, hear what Jesus hears, and so forth. That's the whole idea. I want to try to read quickly through Ephesians chapter 6 because it gives us a description of our armament in Christ. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord of the power of His might, not your might, His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's wily. He's crafty. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is heavy-duty stuff, folks. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having one, girded your waist with truth. God's word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And when they were wearing those robes in biblical times, and they would go into battle, they would have to gird up their waist, gird up their loins, so that they wouldn't trip over the robe. Not very helpful when you're in battle. 
That's, that's what holds our spiritual pants up, folks. We don't want to get caught with our pants down, right, spiritually speaking? The truth. To the breastplate of righteousness covers the heart. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 talks about bringing everything to God in prayer. Don't be anxious about anything. Bring everything to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. We've been talking about the battle is in the mind. It's, that's, where it's, that's where it's won or lost. And in the Bible, as we studied through, I think it was the Gospel of Matthew in particular, we saw the close interconnection between the heart and the mind. With the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, as we walk with him, he clothes us in his righteousness. We have none of our own. He provides that wardrobe for us. Having you shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And again, feet need protection, right? You can't go into battle barefoot. That's not going to work out very well. The gospel of peace, again, being saturated in God's word. Above all, taking the shield of faith to quench those fiery darts of the enemy. And again, our faith is strengthened. The more time we spend with God in prayer, in his word, and even in Christian fellowship. As I talked about this, I think it was last week, if not the week before. We need each other. An army is a group of people, right? I think there was some commercial about an army of one or something, but that doesn't fly. We need each other. We need each other to hold each other's arms up like we talked about last week, like Aaron and her holding up the arms of Moses. <clears throat> Shield of faith. And five, the helmet of salvation. That helmet guarding the mind. It's sad that there are so many denominations and religious groups that the people that are involved in those, they never really go through life with a true assurance of salvation. You know, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, they're all hoping to be one of the 144,000, but that's not very many people. I don't like those odds <laughs> at all. I mean, there's almost 8 billion people on the planet right now, not counting the 8 to 12 billion that existed down through human history, beginning with before the flood of Noah and after, and only 144,000 get to go? No, thank you. You know what I mean? And you, if you find, I'm not going to mention any names this morning, but you know some of the groups that the people, they're always insecure. They never really know where they stand with God, and they have to do penance and, you know, pay certain fees. And you know what I'm, you know what I'm hinting at here, right? And then you still don't, you might wind up in an intermediate place. I don't like that either. I want to go straight to heaven. I don't want to pass go or collect 200 bucks or any of that stuff. I want to go straight to heaven. And that's what God has promised me in Jesus Christ, and he's promised you the same thing. The helmet of salvation. And again... You've heard me say this before. I've never made a, met a backslidden Christian that felt comfortable, that felt good about where they stood with God. The, the helmet of salvation means that you're confident with where you stand with God. And how do you do that? 
by continuing to walk with him, to be in his word, to be in prayer, to be in fellowship, to practice confession of sin. All the things that we've talked about today that characterize the heart of a warrior, then that helmet of salvation seals the deal. It guards your heart and mind against the lies of the devil that tell you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, and doggone it, nobody liked you. And you're going to hell in a handbasket. See, the devil's a liar. But how do you discern his lies? you got that helmet of salvation on. You know that you know that you know that you're saved, that you're born again, that you're a child of God, and you're going to live forever. So take that devil and stick it in your pipe and smoke it. Okay? We're not, we're not going to make it. Ain't nobody got time for that. Okay. Oh, the final one. Six. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice all these other weapons are primarily defensive, protective, but the sword, hello, that's an offensive weapon. How do you go after the devil with the Word of God? It's what Jesus did. Jesus said that he would build his church upon himself, the rock. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are stationary, aren't they? They don't move. So what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about us storming the gates of hell with the truth of God's word. Why do you think God's word is such under attack today? There are so many flaky Bibles out there, like the Massage, also known as the Message. Please, folks, don't read that Bible. It's filled with New Age terminology. The guy is a flake. Be careful what Bible you read. Definitely don't order the LGBTQ Bible off of Amazon. Okay? The Word of God is under major attack. In the church, not outside the church. In the church. But the truth, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is our one offensive weapon with which to strike down the lives of the devil. Verse 18, we're still in Ephesians 6. Praying always with all prayer and supplication, Jesus' weapons, prayer, fasting, and the Word. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being praying in the Spirit, it can mean more than one thing. It can be praying in a heavenly language that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But it can also, and it does definitely mean, praying in the Spirit means you're asking God to guide you and lead you in your prayers. You're not praying... My will be done in heaven as it is on earth. It's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying in the Spirit means you're being led by the Holy Spirit. You're not just giving God your agenda. You're asking God to give you His agenda. Get it? In the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Folks, we used to have a guy in the church, wonderful man, sweet man, Jerry. And he talks about how every day he would get up and he would literally go through the motions of like putting on his armor, which I thought was cute. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what all this boils down to, all the pieces in the armor of God boil down to being clothed in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is our armor. He is the truth. He's our shield of faith. He's our helmet of salvation. He's our breastplate of righteousness. It really means putting on Jesus. In fact, if you guys can find that song, that album I had you play before the service, there's a song on there called Put on Jesus. Some friends of mine from back in the day, in the Jesus Movement days, went on to have a very successful career in contemporary Christian music, the Archers from uh, Bakersfield, California. They did a song called Put on Jesus. Let your light shine. Walking in the spirit that will carry you home. And we'll play it here at the end of the service if you can find it. So as we talk about the battle being won or lost in the mind, we talked about the weapons of our warfare, the spiritual weaponry. We looked at the list. Jesus, weapons, prayer, fasting, the word. Satan's primary weapon against the believer, and it ties right in with this battle for the mind, is temptation. James 1, 13 through 15, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. In the Garden of Eden, it wasn't God that tempted Adam and Eve. Oh, you can't eat from that tree. It was the devil who came to Eve and said, You know, God's feeding you a line here, lady. If you eat from that tree, you'll be just like him. You see, God can't be tempted, and he doesn't tempt anyone, but the enemy does. And it doesn't take a whole lot sometimes. Because... James goes on to say, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, taking every thought captive, tearing down strongholds. Then when desire has conceived, when the lustful thoughts become adultery or fornication and you wind up with some disease, that does happen. When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sometimes literally spiritually, or literally physically, with STDs and HIV and so forth, or other things that can bring about a premature death, but it also brings about spiritual death. And that's more what James is talking about. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings, brings forth death. The flip side, for you and I as believers, trials will make us stronger. What ultimately breaks those who fall is giving into the flesh. Samson and Delilah, David and Bathsheba, Judas, going down the line. Yes, the enemy will work on our weaknesses. He will engage in temptations that already come naturally to us anyway, to be truthful. But you'll hear people say, well, let me go to James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This is the verse nobody wants to hear when you're going through a trial. Your friend comes to you, it's okay, man. Look at James 1, 2. Count it all joy. And you want to lay hands on him in the Lord, right? <laughs> but it's true. It's true. James says, count it all joy. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, can you imagine? We should all be better at doing that. Thank you, Lord, for this trial because it means you're working in my life. You're helping me to grow and become stronger in my faith. Knowing that the testing of your faith, 
See, there's no deception as powerful as self-deception. We've talked about all the people who identify as believers and are all excited. I can't wait to get to heaven, really. Uh, but they don't really know the Lord. They're self-deceived. They've received a false gospel, an easy believism, as some call it. It's in some cases laced with new age ideology and philosophy. It doesn't matter what you think about who you are. What matters is who God knows you are. The trying or the testing of your faith, that proves it's genuine. How many people have you known that would just seem like, ooh, Jim and Jim, Bobby and Susie Sunday School, Jim and Susie Christian, right? But the first time a real trial comes along, they're gone. Their faith was tested, and they didn't pass the test. Abraham, nobody could have been tested like he was. Abraham, take your son, your one and only son Isaac, up onto Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham was ready to do it, but God stopped him. Job, that guy went through the ringer, just like my arm when I was six years old. Ringer washer. A real relic, a real antique. Now, and how many people have fallen by the wayside? A loved one, somebody close to you dies or gets seriously injured or your financial world totally collapses. Could be any number of things. What do you do? Job said, though he slay me, in fact, he might have preferred it after all he'd been through. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Is that who you are in Christ? That's who you're supposed to be. That's who we're all supposed to be. The trying of your faith or the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance. The Bible says he who endures, or she, we're not gender neutral here, He or she who endures till the end. The one who perseveres. Will be saved. Does that mean you're saved by works? No. But it means if you are a true believer, you will persevere. That's the testing of your faith. Is it real? Is it genuine? We all need to know, folks, none of us want to go through life with a fake, phony faith, do we? How do we find out? Because God allows us to be tested. And you can look back at your own life. How did I do? How did I do with that test, with this test? And if you're still with him, you're on the right track. Paul said he was ready to go home to be with the Lord because he had finished the race set before him. He had fought the good fight of the faith. Pastor Chuck Smith always used to talk about how the most important thing is finishing well. The tortoise and the hare, remember that story? Some people hit the ground running, man, they're on fire for God, or they appear to be, and they want to do this, and they want to do that, but the minute they hit a bump in the road, they're gone. I don't want to be that person, do you?
Let patience or perseverance have its perfect work that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. God allows the trials, the testings to strengthen us, to grow us, to bring us to that place of maturity that will enable us to finish the race, to finish the fight, to endure to the end. People will say, oh man, the, the devil's just really kicking my rear end. He's all over me like stink on a skunk. Everything's going wrong. We give the devil too much credit sometimes. He is our enemy. There is a war going on. But you're wrong. That's God sifting you, testing you, purifying you, strengthening. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? The enemy asked permission to sift you like wheat. And guess what, Peter? I said yes. Thanks a lot, Lord. No, but the purpose was to strengthen Peter, to test his faith, to prepare him so that he could then go and minister to his brethren. The enemy asked permission. God, the enemy can't do anything to you without God's permission, so quit freaking out and just go with it. Let God do that perfecting work in your life. We could go on and on about the qualities and characteristics of a warrior's heart, but let's close today with one final quality, and we are going to be a little late. The heart of a warrior is a brave heart. Remember that movie? William Wallace, who really was kind of a Christ-like figure. He, he gave us all. But they, he, they tore him up. A brave heart. He didn't back down. Joshua. Joshua 1.9. God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's something that never ceases to amaze me. When I'm in my prayer time and I'm thanking the Lord for all the blessings, all the things he's done for me. And just to look back over my life and see how he's been there with me every step of the way. He promised he would never leave us or forsake us. David, 1 Samuel 16, 18. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. David, he was a multifaceted guy. Musician, shepherd, warrior, king. He is a brave man. That was David's testimony, his reputation. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine looking. And the Lord is with him. Folks, bravery, I believe, comes from truly knowing and believing that God is with us. If you really know that, you believe that, you walk in that. Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him, God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear the enemy. The worst he could do is kill you. And then you're with Jesus. And if he does, that means God allowed it, and it's time for you to go home. If we truly fear God, respect him, we're in awe of him, we love him, all fear of physical harm is removed. Hebrews 13, 3. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? They can't kill your soul. They can't take away your salvation. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if you have a spirit of fear, it didn't come from God. And if you ask him to, if you let him, he will remove it. But of power and love and of a sound mind. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Agape, God's perfect love. Perfect love casts out fear. 
because fear involves torment. Again, we talked about that assurance of salvation, the helmet of salvation. If you're sure of your salvation in Christ, which you should be, there's no fear of torment. Torment is reserved for those who reject him. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Remember we saw in James chapter 1, the trying of your faith produces patience, perseverance. Let it have its perfect work. The person who fears has not been made perfect in love. And again, you don't pull away, you dig in deeper. You, you dive deeper into the Lord, into his word, into prayer, and into the body of Christ. It's just a fact, folks. We all tend to become like who we hang around with. If you want to be like Jesus, hang around with people who act like him, who live like him, who believe in him, who walk like Jesus walks, talk like Jesus talks, see what Jesus sees. I think there's far too many believers. Again, I'm not preaching or teaching isolationism, shunning. Again, that's a cultic thing. Some people that are in cults. You can't hang out with anybody but your own little group. But the fact of the matter is, if you spend more time with non-believers than believers, you're going to act like a non-believer. You know that? It's just a fact. Sorry. Sorry. Shoot, I might just preach all day. I've tried to be so good and quit right at 1130. We're almost done. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. So even though we've talked about the trials, the testings, the temptations, the spiritual warfare, what does Jesus leave us with? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let it. Notice that. Do you know it's a choice? That's another thing we just don't get, folks. We've got to get it into our hearts and minds that God has given us free will. He's given us choices. You can choose to not be afraid. And you know what I've always said? God empowers right choices. God, in Jesus' name, I choose not to be afraid. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the strength. Give me the power that I need to be bold and brave and courageous like a Joshua. Not to be fearful. Father, I thank you that you have not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Thank you, Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. By the power of God's Holy Spirit and the truth of his word, you do have a choice. And you also have a choice not to adulterate, not to fornicate, not to pornagraficate. I just made that word up. You have a choice, and God will give you the power and the strength that when you make the right choice, he will help you to follow through on it. Hello. You don't wait till you're already in the big mess. God help me. What was that old cartoon, Mr. Wizard? And he'd always get into trouble and he'd call on Mr. Wizard to bail him out. Out of all the scores of brave men and women who've laid down their lives to purchase the freedom of their spouses, children, family, loved ones, friends, neighbors, and even people they've never known. Only one has risen from the dead. We honor the tomb of the unknown soldier. We honor those fallen on Memorial Day, which was last week. But only one has ever risen from the dead, and that's Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of the living God. 
And again, while so many have given so much to purchase a freedom that is temporary, for all those who will believe in him and receive the gift of freedom he has purchased for us, it's an eternal, everlasting freedom that nothing or no one can take from us. I'm going to recap it one more time. The heart of a warrior is not reluctant or hesitant. It's an obedient heart. It's a humble heart, a broken heart, a fighting heart, and it's a brave heart. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. This is the truth, folks. The devil lies to you. This is God speaking the truth to you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Let's stand.